This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28, if you would turn there. And while you're turning there, if you are able, if you would please stand as I read aloud the Word of God. This is Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Would you please be seated and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank You for this Gospel. We thank You for the record of the events, life, words, and deeds of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord God, as we look together at this passage, that you would use it in the life of your church and in the life of your people. We also ask that you would use this passage to challenge those who are seeking, to show yourself to those who are lost, to sanctify those who are of your Son, Christ Jesus. We thank you and we praise you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, there are uh, many great things about preaching through books of the Bible. Instead of just picking a topic, but preaching chapter and verse through an entire book of the Bible. And one of the great things about preaching like that is that you can't avoid some of the hard passages, okay? And if you think about hard passages, this morning is the classic example of a hard passage. This week as I was preparing uh, for this sermon I did as I usually do, and I read through the English a few times. I got done reading the English, and I thought, 
I don't understand a thing about this passage. And so I thought, well, I'll understand it when I read the Greek. And so I read and translated the Greek. I got done doing that, and I thought, I don't understand a thing about this passage. To the commentaries, I went. Read a few commentaries and found out that the commentators don't understand a thing about this passage. Eventually got to the point where there was a little bit to be uh, understood or garnered from the text, but along the way, uh, one of the comical things that came out of studying for this passage was reading some of the other versions of the Bible concerning Luke chapter 11. I don't usually do this, but this week I got to read the Living Bible, the Message, some of the more peculiar or interesting versions, and I found the Message translates verse 18 like this, and I thought you would get kind of a uh, a little bit of an interesting side note here. The message in verse 18, when, when Jesus answers them and says, uh, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, wouldn't the kingdom of Satan be against itself? In verse 18 of the message, it says, uh, you say that I'm against Satan. You are slinging the devil mud at me. But if you sling the devil mud at me, don't you realize the devil mud sticks to you as well? That's the message translation of verse 18. I've never heard that phrase before, the devil mud. I thought maybe I'll use it in the future. We'll see. It's a complicated text this morning. It's extremely complicated. And there's at least two dynamics, I think, that are working against us in this. First of all, this is a parable of Christ, okay? Jesus is speaking about a complicated matter, and He's speaking by using parables. And it is just a, it's a complicated matter, okay? So that the original audience that Jesus spoke to, I imagine they wrestled over some of the very same questions that we'll ask. But the second dynamic that's at work is that we are sort of a postmodern society that has learned to explain everything with science and reason and predictable means and methods, all the events that happen to us in our lives, the things that we witness in nature and the world around us, we explain with science. And so supernatural events are just strange to us. We have no category for these things. You see, in that sense, we're at a disadvantage to the people that Jesus originally spoke to. Because to them, the supernatural world made complete sense. It was the way they explained like 50% of everything that they came into contact with in the world that they witnessed. So for us, there's a challenge here. When you read the passage, you might be thinking, okay, what's Jesus going to speak about next? The, the wicked witch of the West? It seems like a fantasy that he describes. The challenge is for us, though, to recognize as Jesus speaks about spiritual matters that there is indeed a spiritual world. Jesus speaks about it here this morning. There's much that we can learn from Christ's words in Luke chapter 11 concerning this, uh, the prince of the power of the air, concerning Satan himself. And so this morning as we look at this text, let me tell you, we're looking at warnings from Jesus. This morning, I've kind of boiled it down into three warnings, three bewares. The first one I want to talk about is beware the prince of darkness. Beware the prince of darkness. Now, if you, as you're reading this passage, you probably notice the, the tie that binds them together is the mention of Satan. Over and over again, he's referenced in this passage in a variety of different ways Christ describes the devil 
and those who are with him in his work. We begin the passage, Jesus encounters this man who is possessed by a demon. And the mention of demons at the beginning of the text is the, uh, those who are under the authority of Satan. The people who are around Jesus as He casts out the demon, they say, He's working with Beelzebul. Beelzebul, the, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word which means the Lord of filth. It actually means the Lord of dung. The Lord of dung. Jesus goes on in verse 15, describes Satan as the prince of darkness or the prince of demons. Later, Jesus uses the word Satan in verse 16. Satan is the Chaldean word, which means the accuser. The accuser or the adversary. Then Jesus describes Satan as a strong man as he describes in this passage, a, a strong man who guards his own home. And then Christ speaks about the unclean spirits in verse 21 and 22 and following. Unclean spirits connecting directly with the description of Satan, the, the prince of dung, the lord of filth. There are many descriptions here of Satan. And just as God has His own names, His own uh, uh, descriptions that talk of his characteristics, so Satan himself has various titles that tell us more about his own character, about the nature of Satan. But this morning I want not to talk so much about the titles or the, the, the names of Satan in this passage, but rather I want to talk about the characteristics, the descriptions that Jesus gives of Satan here in this text. The descriptions. You see, if there's any confusion as we go through this passage, let there be no doubt that Jesus means to communicate to us the authority and the power, the principality of Satan himself. In every description that Jesus gives, there's something of Satan's power and authority. Whether it's the power and authority he has to possess human beings, the power and authority over human minds or human hearts, whether it be the description of Satan as a prince or as a strong man, whether it be the describing of the followers of Satan, the minions, the demons, the spirits, the multiplicity of these spirits, we see Jesus over and over again describing the power and the authority of Satan. I think that's important because I think for a variety of reasons we tend to uh, undermined or devalue the authority that Satan has. I think maybe because, again, we live in this postmodern world, everything is reduced to a scientific explanation. Uh, maybe it's because we understand the power and authority of Christ, and so we pay no mind to the power of Satan. But I think as Christ speaks here, He means to convey to us that it is with diligence and wisdom that we consider the authority of Satan in this world. You see, if we're to understand the power of the cross, we must understand the powers which the cross came to overthrow. If we're to understand the power of victory over death, we must understand the power and the breadth and the width and the depth of death itself. And so Christ 
communicates to his audience this morning, beware Satan himself. Beware of the power that he holds. You know the description there in verse uh, 24 of the strong man. Jesus describes Satan as the strong man who's geared with this great armor and he protects his home. He allows no one to enter and he is indeed a strong man. The text actually says a mighty being. A very powerful creature. And the description of Satan in those verses is one that ought to give us warning. Okay? You look at the house of Satan. As the house of Satan is there described, as Jesus describes that strong man, it says he takes, uh, uh, sorry, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. And the original Greek actually says that his goods and his possessions are at rest, that they have peace. You see, the description of Satan here is a description of one who rules over a household of peace. You see, if you're not in Christ, you may think that you're at peace. They're a facade or a mirage of a peaceful existence that you have found some rest, that you have found peace in this world. But Christ describes that household of Satan that one, though it rests at peace, it is still under the power of Satan himself. The warning this morning is very simple. If you are not in Christ, you'll hear this passage this morning often speaking to you. If you are not in Christ and your life is in turmoil, thank God, because the turmoil of this life is meant to show us that there's no hope here. That there is no lasting peace under the power of Satan in the world of darkness, under his dominion, if you are not in Christ and you find there's peace in your life, then uh, arise, awake, and see that the peace that you experience now is not lasting. It is fleeting. It will be here today and gone tomorrow. For under the prince of this world, there is no lasting peace. And so, beware the prince of darkness. Beware the prince of darkness. Second, beware false hopes. Beware false hopes. You could say beware false hopes. Gospels. Look, if you will, with me again at verse 22 and following. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. They enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. It's a complicated text. As you consider what's happening in verse 24 and 25, it's very interesting. Jesus describes a scenario in which a demon is possessing a person and then the demon leaves for a time and then the demon comes back to find that the person is kind of neat and put in order and the demon returns to possess that person and invites seven other demons to join him in possessing that person. And you're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? 
Again, it's an interesting description, okay? It, it feels, at least to me, a little bit of a trivial description to describe things of uh, eternal weight. There's a little bit of even uh, comedy in this description, right? The, the, the demon leaves and he returns back to the person and he's like, oh, well, while I was gone, it looks like somebody put this, this house in order, right? Somebody made the sheets and mowed the lawn and put out the welcome mat and I'm, I'm ready to return to this well-kempt home. Okay? That's the description that Jesus gives, but it's a, it's, a, it's a parable. Each of these images is meant to connect us to some deeper truth, and as you think about how to understand this parable, it connects vividly with the, the verse that goes before it. Because as Jesus is describing Himself, He says, but when one stronger than He attacks him and overcomes him, He takes away His armor in which He trusted, and He divides His spoil. You see the comparison between Jesus and the attack of Jesus on Satan and then the, the demon that goes out otherwise and returns home. You see the, the comparison? When Jesus disarms Satan, when He relieves us of the bondage to sin and the authority of the principality of darkness, you see what He does in verse 22? The one stronger attacks him, overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoil. And the actual rendering literally of that text says not that he divides his spoil, but that he plunders his home. He removes his armor and he plunders his home. And the description of Jesus when he comes and he begins his work in the heart of a human being is that he disarms Satan. He removes his power and authority over a person and he indwells that human being and he removes from within it all of the affections and the desires and the things of the sinful nature and he replaces them. He plunders the home. And the description of the demon who leaves and comes back to a neat and tidy home ready to dwell in is the exact opposite of the work of Christ in our hearts, in our lives. The description in verse 24 is a very dis different description. Yes, the Spirit goes out as it does when Christ casts out the demon at the beginning of this passage, but from that point forward, there are no similarities. The description of verse 24 is the description of a, of a false hope, a, a false gospel, it's the description of a hope that says that it has power and authority to bring lasting peace, lasting relevance, lasting promise, but the person who trusts in that hope and peace finds that it is quickly replaced by a greater sin, a greater bondage, a greater slavery to the principality of darkness. A.W. Pink, Arthur Pink, many of you know him, uh, he, he describes this passage in this way, and I, and I find this to be a very fitting and a, a beautiful description here. He says, Satan is the arch counterfeiter. Therefore, as Christ has a gospel, Satan has a gospel too. The latter being a clever counterfeit of the former. So closely does the gospel of Satan resemble that which it parodies, that multitudes of the unsaved are deceived by it. It is a bloodless gospel, and it presents a crossless Christ who is received not as God manifests in the flesh, 
but merely as the ideal man. Beware of the multitudinous versions of the gospel of Satan in this world. It is a trap. Satan's gospel is not a system of anarchy. It does not promote violence or war. It aims at peace and unity. It fosters a cooperative spirit. It pushes for the approval of the natural man. It uses tools like education and cultivation to appeal to the best within us. It aims to make this world so comfortable and agreeable that the absence of Jesus here will not be felt or needed. It promotes kindness and equality. It is popular with the masses because it ignores the facts that man is by nature a fallen creature and alienated from God. It is salvation by works, works that seem so beautiful and right. Its mantra is be good and do good to all. Social purity and social justice are substituted for individual regeneration. And the improvement of the old man is considered more redemptive than the creation of a new man in Christ Jesus. That's A.W. Pink's explanation of a false hope, a false gospel. That's his description of what's happening in verse 24. The one who receives a hope that is not lasting. The one who rests on the things of this world. See, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You can clean up the house all you want. And you can fold the sheets and sweep the floors, and dust the windows, and mow the lawn. You can do everything you want to maintain that house, but unless a stronger man plunders the house and replaces the possessions and the affections and the inclinations, then there will be no lasting hope. But the hope of Christ Jesus. Finally, the last beware. Beware false neutrality. Beware false neutrality. This you read in verse 23. Verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And you see, as Jesus is speaking to those who are listening and watching at this moment, He begins to paint a line in the sand and He will tell them, Listen, there are only two options in this, okay? It's not a multiple choice question, A, B, C, or D, or none of the above. That's not the way this works. You are either with me, united to Christ by faith, or if you are not with me, you are against me. And by virtue of being against me, you are under the power of the prince of this world, under the dominion of darkness. See, one of the messages that come out of this passage is that there is no neutral ground. And no matter how interested you are in Christ, no matter how great you think He is, no matter how much you think that one day you may actually become a Christian, no matter how much good you've done, no matter how much in your life you've lived giving to others and depriving yourself of the joys of this world. No matter how much you've loved, shown love and received love, if you are not with Christ, you are against Him. You're opposed to Him. That's what Christ speaks about here in this passage in verse 23. Now, I think 
there is a natural dispensation in this world and a tool of Satan uh, that is often working against us in this endeavor, and it is the, the tool of comparison that we can often look around us and see folks who are worse off than ourselves and think of ourselves as being pretty sufficient. You know, I like to watch the TV show Cops, okay? Some of you watch Cops, I know. It's like uh, the thing that it, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure. I just love watching Cops. And my wife does not like Cops at all. Uh, and sometimes at night when I can't sleep, I'll turn on Cops and she'll say, are you kidding me? I have to fall asleep to sirens and gunshots. This is terrible. And so um, lately, I just watch it on mute with closed captioning. It's not the same effect, but it's close, okay? And when you watch Cops, if you've ever watched Cops, you kind of get the same feeling episode after episode. You, you feel pitiful for the people you're watching, right? And whether it be um, drug addicts uh, or uh, hard criminals, uh, thieves, murderers, you're watching high-speed car chases or bank robberies, it's all kind of the same. You get the feeling at the end of the half an hour that you're, you're watching people who are in a really pitiful situation. And you're thinking, ah, oh, what in the world went wrong in their life that they're at this moment, right? What was happening in their home? Did they not have good parents? Uh, what were the events that led up to this? And it kind of brings you to a point where you, you not only feel pitiful, but you're like, man, that's, they're they're living under the prince of the power of darkness. I'm kind of glad I've got it together. Not like these people and cops, okay? Um, and it gives you this false sense of security. That always happens when we begin to look at others that we might feel pitiful for, okay? We look at them and the situation we're in and we think, oh, that's, that's bad, okay? Thank God that I'm not like that. And we begin to think in our lives there are those who are in darkness. And then there's us, okay? And, and we've got it together, right? That is Satan's way of working in this world to lull us into a false sense of security or neutrality, right? And by neutrality, I mean we, we find ourselves in a place where we think we're not that bad. Yes, we're not in Christ, but we're not also opposed to Him. And the passage this morning simply says to us, there is just one or the other. Okay? No matter who you are, no matter how good the life that you've lived, how gracious and merciful you've been to other people, if you're not in Christ, you're against Him. If you're not in Him, you're in this world under the authority of Satan. You're not gathering with Him, you're scattering. You're not working in Christ, you are against Him. And that should bring a reality check to all of us. Okay? This morning, if you haven't trusted in faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? If you haven't come to Him in faith, there's an important question that you must reconcile with, okay? If you're not with Christ, you're against Him. And we know that life is fleeting. No one knows when their lives will be demanded of them. Will it be this day? Will it be the next day? No one knows. 
But we know then comes judgment. And when we stand before the judgment seat of God, He will simply ask one question, have you trusted my son in faith? Nothing else will be important at that moment. Okay? And the Christian life and this Word of God is full of exhortations for us in our living in Christ, but there's only one thing that matters at that moment. Have you by faith trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not with Him, you're against Him. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you haven't followed Christ, you're opposed to Him. If you haven't trusted Him, you're against Him. There is no neutrality in this world. The exhortation and the encouragement from this passage this morning is very simple. Trust Christ in faith. Walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be unified to Him by the grace of God through the vehicle of faith. And so Christ says this morning in this passage, He says to you and I, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, if by the finger of God I cast out evil, if by the finger of God I work salvation in this world, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And the kingdom of God has come upon us all through Christ Jesus. And so we read at the end, blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and who keep it. Hear the Word of God this morning. Christ Jesus is knocking. He is seeking lost souls. If you're not with Him, you're against Him, trust Him by faith, and you will be saved. And He will disarm the strong man and plunder the home. And He will save you by the work, His work on the cross and the work of His Spirit, and you will be in Him and with Him, and you will be saved for eternity. Would you please join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank You for this passage. We thank You for Your Son. And we ask, Lord God, that You would work in our hearts. We ask that You would disarm us, You would disarm Satan, his grip on our hearts, the sin that dwells deep within us. We, we ask, Lord, that You would come and You would conquer. Conquer our hearts. Reign victoriously over us. That we would trust in You as our Savior. We ask, Father, that You would send Your Spirit to work within us. We ask, Lord Jesus Christ, that You would cover us with Your blood. And that You would make us new creatures in You. That we would be redeemed and reconciled. We ask that You would do this work for our good and for Your glory. That we would trust in You, our Lord, our Father. And that You would work in us this righteousness that is ours through Christ Jesus. We thank You. We praise you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.